I want to start off by painting for you a picture that I think will help set up today's message. Um, many of you probably have heard me say in the past that when I was a kid, one of the things I actually wanted to do growing up was be a firefighter. Um, you know, in fact, I remember when we lived in Florida, we lived in Florida for a year and a half. This was my first time coming to the U.S. Um, and we lived in Miami. And my parents would always remind me that every single time a fire truck or a siren would, would be heard in the distance, I would run outside and I would wave to the fire truck as it was passing by. Because to me, these were heroes, right? Um, you know, whenever I would hear a siren, it, it signified to me that, that there was trouble somewhere. And these men and women who were racing toward that, that place where there was trouble um, were going there to go help. They were going there to go rescue. And so for me, there was a ton of respect for them. And I always wanted to, to be a firefighter growing up. Um, but of course, God had other plans, but it still has not tempered my respect for these individuals. But I want to paint for you a picture of, of, of what the apostle is, is going gonna, is gonna to be talking about in the scripture that we're, we're about to read. So, so imagine that, that you're, you're, you're watching a scene and, and you're in a firehouse and you're, you're, you're watching as a new shift of firefighters come into their station. So far, the day has been uneventful. There's been a few minor calls for ambulatory care. Uh, but in this particular moment, several crew members are huddled around the table. They're playing Uno. They're just hanging out. Um, others are seated in some couches. They're watching television, perhaps a football game. And as one of the crew passes by, one of the guys at the table playing Uno asks, because this particular person is the designated cook for the day, what are we having for dinner? But then before that individual can respond, the alarm blares over the intercom, and everybody begins to, everybody looks up to hear what the dispatch is going to say. And in that moment, the dispatch announces that the entire house is needed to answer a call. All three trucks, their ambulance are all needed. And so within seconds, you begin to see all these crew members scrambling. They're rushing to their trucks. They're rushing to their gear. They're putting on their equipment. They get into their trucks. They turn on the lights, turn on the sirens. They race out of the fire station and they're headed toward what is considered a working fire. And when they get to that scene, they find a massive fire. A warehouse where about 50, 60 plus people were gathered to have a party goes up in flames. And when these firefighters arrive, there is the unmistakable color of smoke, uh, smell of smoke in the air. Um, the, 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 the firefighters realize that this is going to be one of those kind of fires that's going to require significant work to put out. And as they pull up to that scene, again, they find this building that's fully engulfed in, with flames. Fire is shooting out of the second floor window. They're hearing the intermittent explosion of, of whatever may be uh, combustible within the building. And, and as, they, as they are trying to assess what's going on, out from the corner of the, or the, from the back of the building, they see a crowd of folks running to, in their direction. They're screaming. Many of them are covered in soot. They're in shock, of course. And as the firefighters try to help this fleeing crowd, somebody's heard yelling, there are more people inside. There are more people inside. One of the firefighters grabs the individual by the arm and asks, how many people are still inside? To which the person says, maybe 50, maybe 60 people. I don't know, but there are a lot of people still inside. And amid all of the pandemonium, the team creates and begins to execute this plan to rescue everyone that may still be left in the building. One firefighter notices that there is a door on the side of the building and he merely starts trying to pry the door open with a crowbar. And on the other side are victims who are banging frantically on the, on the door, asking to be let out. Moments later, the firefighters are able to open the door. Scores of frightened individuals, even though they are grateful to be able to escape, run rushing out. 
Seeing that no one else is coming out, several of the crew rush into the building in search for more victims. And as they walk through the narrow hallway with flames roaring on either side, they are heard calling out the phrase, fire department, call out. And all the while, as they are doing this, they are taking great pain to tap into the wisdom of training that they've received for combating situations like this. While we may celebrate people like these for their bravery, for being willing to run toward danger when everybody else is running from danger, any one of them will be quick to point out to you and I today that bravery or courage is not enough to be effective whenever they are called to answer, um, uh, uh, to, to respond to a rescue situation. More important than courage is the knowledge and the skill required to do a job safely. Um, several years ago when I was a junior high pastor at the Fondren campus, we used to have this outreach with our junior high students where every Christmas we would have the students bake cookies, Christmas themed cookies. Um, and you know, some kids would, would bake cakes if that's what they preferred to make. And we would have all of these pastries that were made by the students and we would go to Fire Station 68, which is the closest to the Fondren campus, and we would go spend two, three hours with the station. You know, hopefully there was not a call that, you know, while we were there, so they would have to leave. But most times we were there, we got to spend quite a bit of time with the, 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 the men and women serving. Uh, we would sing carols to them, we would play games with them, we would just hang out with them. And it was really just a way for us to, to say thank you. And I remember, one of the young men that was serving at that time, I remember asking him that what do they consider success whenever they go out to answer a call? What is your definition of success? What is your definition of a successful mission? Every time those alarms go off and you're, um, you're needing to head out to, to help somebody in need. And his response was this. He said success in responding to an emergency means that not only do we save those that we're going out to, to help, but that every member of our crew comes back safely. The goal isn't simply for them to go and to help others, but they're also, but they're, they're, they sense the responsibility to ensure that every one of them comes back to that firehouse safely. So of course, in doing everything they can to rescue people who are in harm's way, they understand the importance of staying as safe as possible so that they are able to, are available more like, to rescue somebody else on another day. In this, the finale of our series, I want us to examine the Apostle Jude's warning to believers. And we're going to see it in the latter part of verse 23. We're going to focus on this just one verse where he tells the believers, he warns the believers to beware falling for the snare of sin, even as we are working to rescue those who are caught up in sin. Did you hear that? As we are working to rescue those who are caught up in sin, those who are alienated from Christ or relationship with God, we must be careful to guard our own lives. So over these last several weeks, here's what we've covered as we've studied the book of Jude. One of the things we learned is that false doctrine poses a credible threat to the integrity of the gospel, to the influence of the gospel. But we've also learned that whether individually or collectively, you and I cannot afford to take lightly the presence and influence of false teaching. We cannot suggest, well, it's not that big of a deal, or, well, it's not really going to hurt, or it's not really... No, false teaching is like, is like, is like seed. You plant that seed, you may, you, it may seem insignificant to you at the time it is planted, but realize it's going to grow. And, what, and, and the fruit it's going to produce will be destructive. So there should be never any point in our lives where we entertain false teaching, is what the Bible tells us. We've also learned that the burden of defending our faith sits on our individual and our collective shoulders. It is not the job of a few. 
It is not the job of certain people that may have a title or a position or maybe in leadership. It is all of our responsibility to defend our faith. Why? Because we've all experienced this gospel that has changed our lives. Amen? And because you've experienced this gospel that has changed your life, you have been given that mantle of responsibility to defend this faith that has changed your life. How do we do that? Two parts of Jude's letter deals with not only what God does in us, but also what God does through us. So we defend our faith, the Bible shows us, by guarding our hearts against deception, one. But then the other side is encouraging others to resist deception. We don't only care about ourselves. We're not only to be concerned about ourselves, we're to be involved and invested in each other to ensure that we are all walking in truth. Again, because, like I said, false teaching is like a seed. It may seem insignificant in this moment, but down the road, it's going to produce separation from God. A more detailed study of each of these points, I want to encourage you to, if you haven't, if you've missed any one of our Sundays, go back to our, you can go on our podcast um, our Podbean podcast to be able to uh, hear some of the messages from the past several weeks. If you look up the keyword Braves with BFC, it'll take you right to our page and you're able to listen to previous messages. But I want to focus on today, like I said, verse 23, the second part of verse 23, in which we read the Apostles' warning to the believers. So if you turn your Bible with me to Jude, and we're going to look at verse 23. He says, To others, show mercy. Everybody say mercy. He says, to others we are to show mercy mixed with fear. We show mercy, but we make sure that our mercy is mixed with fear, hating even the clothing that is stained by corrupted flesh. To show others, Jude says, we must, to show, to, 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 to others who are, who are caught up in sin, we are to show mercy to them, but we're to do so being mindful, being aware, being sensitive to the fact that we can just as easily fall to the very same that these are struggling with. So the question then for us is this, how do we confront sin's influence on others without giving into it ourselves? In the calling that God has placed on our lives to be there for each other, to, to, to advocate for each other, to, to, to defend the faith um, and its influence in people's lives, how do we do so without giving into sin's influence ourselves? There's three points I want to share with you in these next very few minutes. Um, and, and my prayer is that, that, that today's message will inspire you to, once again, uh, have a missional mindset. I know sometimes when it comes to answering the call that God has placed on our lives to be witnesses, to be salt and light in the environment that God has placed us in, our schools, our jobs, our neighborhoods, our communities, sometimes we can be afraid. We can be afraid of whether or not we'll be effective, whether or not we can make a difference. Sometimes we might compare ourselves to somebody else that we may feel like is maybe a little more, has more personality or more charisma or, or they're more bold or outspoken and we think, I'm not like them, so can God really use me? No, friend, listen, God has called every one of us. And God wants to use every single one of us. And we must not allow fear to keep us from allowing God to use every one of us. So, so how do we confront sin's influence in the lives of others without giving it to, into it ourselves? Number one, by acknowledging our flesh's vulnerability towards sinfulness. I heard somebody say, it is unwise to overestimate our ability to resist sin's influence by underestimating the challenge or the danger that sin poses. It is unwise for us to think that you and I can handle sin by ourselves. 
that we are not vulnerable to sin, that we on any given day are not tempted. The fact of the matter is, the Bible never promises us that we will not be tempted. But the Bible does promise that God will always provide a way of escape. God's assurance is that when temptation comes, that he will not leave us to ourselves. He will not leave us on our own to fend for ourselves, that he will make a way of escape for us. How many times God has done that for me, and I'll look back and I'll say, thank you, God, for that way of escape you provided for me. It may, have, it may have not seemed obvious to others around me, but I know, I know what God has done. And, and the reality is, is that you and I must always acknowledge our vulnerability against sinfulness. Here's the thing, even though we are in Christ, even though we're walking with the Lord, and even though we're led by the Spirit, friends, we still have this flesh to contend with. There is a reason why Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That word living is important because that word suggests that it is a continual offering of our lives. When, when something dies, it ceases to exist. You never have to worry about it beyond its once it loses its life. But for us who are living, we're 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 still we're we're called to a living relationship. We're we're walking with the Lord. We must realize that this flesh of ours still wants to have its way. That there are still appetites and desires that are not pleasing to God. That this flesh wants to be satisfied. And we must every single day lay ourselves before God and say, God, I am not living for myself. I am living for you. And that means that every choice, every decision, how we live must be expressed by that commitment to live for God. We must never, ever, ever, ever think that we are not vulnerable to sin. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that we can put ourselves in situations or environments and that, and that we can be able to, to, to manage them. No. Sometimes the best, the best remedy against, against giving into sin is to flee from the environment where you can be tempted to sin. And it's not, it's not cowardice, it's not, it's, not, it's not being timid, it is being wise. Because you understand that you are vulnerable to sinfulness. I want, to hear, I want you to hear what 2 Peter 3 verse 17 says. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible Translation. He says, be on your guard. Why? So that you are not carried away by the error of unscrupulous people and lose your own firm commitment. Who is he talking to here? He's not talking to unbelievers. He is talking to believers. And he's suggesting that there are environments that you and I can find ourselves in, situations we can find ourselves in where because we are not on our guard, we can be carried away by error. Because as I said to you at the beginning, error is always around us. The enemy is constantly working overtime to distract us or to, 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 to get us off track from God's purpose and plan for us. We must be on our guard. And part of being on our guard is, is being mindful of the fact that you are, you're, this flesh of ours is vulnerable. How, how can God use us to help others if we are underestimating our own vulnerability? How many people throughout, throughout church history have fallen into sin? Why? Because, again, they, they put themselves in situations or environments where they, did not, they were not on guard, they did not fortify themselves, and they went into situations and they, they fell for the very thing that they were trying to save, uh, rescue others from. Wisdom says that we acknowledge our flesh's vulnerability. Number two, not only do we acknowledge our flesh's vulnerability to sinfulness, but we need to depend on the grace of God to live faithfully before Him. Just as you and I were rescued by the saving grace of God, we are empowered by the sustaining grace of God. God didn't just save us, give us a new identity, give us a new life in Christ, and then leave us to fend for ourselves. He is involved in our lives to sustain us, to keep us walking with Him, to keep us, to keep us, to keep us committed to Him, faithful to Him. 
In Psalm 73, verse, Psalm 73 verse 26, David writes, My flesh and my heart may fail. Again, this is someone who knows God, who is walking with God, and he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, everybody say God. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This person that wrote this is testifying to the fact that, that there are times in their life where they recognize that it is only the grace of God that sustains. Remember I told you this last week about this issue of, of asking the Lord to help me to see people the way He sees them and not see them the way I want to see them. And it is this phrase that I've held on to for as long as I've, I've, I've heard it, that but for the grace of God, there go I. I can look at everybody around me that may be doing things that they should not be doing, living a life that they should not be living, or going in a direction that I know is going to be destructive, and I can just as easily say, well, that's their business. But that's not the heart of the Father. Because the heart of the Father is, is moved when, when one is walking away from His will for their life. It is not God's will that any perish. So when we consider the fact that God's desire is to bring change to a person's life and to help us to walk faithfully before Him, then we need to realize today that our ability to live for God, our ability to live faithfully before the Lord is dependent on Him. We can't do this in our strength. We need Him to help us to live faithfully before Him. Again, if we are to be used by God to help others, friends, then we must recognize that we need to depend on the Lord ourselves. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. We help others who are struggling in sin or overwhelmed by sin without falling into it ourselves by pointing to Christ rather than to self as the key to victory. That we can be able to say that, you know what, I'm able to overcome temptation, I'm able to overcome this struggle, I'm able to overcome that struggle, and not because I have it in, in, in myself to do those things, but because of Christ who is in me. And that when, when, when we engage people who are struggling with sin, that we're not pointing them to, to, to what we've done on our own as if somehow we're the ones that, that have fixed our own lives, but we're able to point them to Christ, that it always has to be pointing others to Jesus. And I think that was part of what was the, kind of what was the, what was the, what was the agenda of, of these false teachers, because what they were trying to do was to, was to take people's focus and attention off of Christ. By teaching things about Christ that were not true, that were not consistent with who, with who He is, by offering, well, offering doctrine that, 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 was, that was more about the flesh than it was really about honoring Christ and about honoring God. And, and the whole goal was to, was to get these, these individuals to no longer depend on Christ. How many today, even in churches, are, 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 are more dependent on self to live for Him than they are on Him? We must always point to Christ as the key to our victory over sin. Somebody once said, if we can overcome sin on our own, then we don't need the cross. If we didn't have a sin problem, then Christ would not have had to die. All of these things are because we cannot do this by ourselves. And that the victory that we enjoy today over sin, that we, the victory we enjoy today over temptation, the victory that we enjoy today over ungodliness, that, and the ability for us to be able to step into somebody's life who is struggling with sin and be able, to, be able to come alongside them and help them out of that situation, again, it's not because of us, but it's because of the one who is in us and has changed us. 1 John 5 verse 4, Every child of God can obey Him. Defeating sin and evil pleasure by what? By trusting. Everybody say trusting. Scripture says that we are able to overcome sin. We're able to overcome evil pleasures because we trust Christ to help us. I cannot do this by myself. God, I need you. 
This is why I've said, I've said to you many times that being a Christian is not about you trying to prove to God how, how, how good of a disciple you are or, or how deserving of the name Christian that, you, that, that you, you, you can earn. Being a disciple is about recognizing you cannot live for God on your own. You need Him to be able to, to, be able to live for Him and you, you, you choose every single day to cling to Him. That you, you, you start your day with Him, you end your day with Him, and that in between, in between the start and the finish, the close of your day, that you are dependent on God throughout. Because that is what the world needs to see, friends. What the world needs to see is not, is not that we're, we're simply better or that we're, simply, we're, you know, we're just simply good people. What they need to see is what Christ has done in our lives. That's what attracts them to Jesus. Because of the difference that they see Him make in us. And so if you and I are to to be able to come alongside others around us who are struggling, who, are, who find themselves unable to overcome sin in their lives, then friends, these three things must be a part of, of our own daily experience. Where we are mindful of the fact that, that our flesh, we are, we're constantly dealing with the flesh that wants to have its way, but we must bring that flesh under the authority of Christ. And then that we recognize that, that this, this opportunity that Christ has given us to, to stand for Him, to, to live for Him, is only because we are dependent on Him. And that ultimately the goal is to point them to Him. Again, I think about what our first responders do. When they, heard, when they hear that call, they go out to the place where there is danger. Right? Everybody's running from that environment, but they're running into it. And their goal isn't to go in there and to be overcome by the very thing that they're trying to save people from. Their goal is to go into that environment. They apply the knowledge and skill that they've been, they've been taught when they, when they went through the academy. They go into that environment, they rescue those who need to be rescued, and they come out, they, come, they, they bring everybody, including themselves, back out. God's desire is that you and I have a, have a, have a, have a sense of urgency about, about the times that you and I live in because Christ is coming back very soon. And we are surrounded by people who do not know Jesus. And we must have a missional mindset where we begin to say, God, help me to begin to see people around me for, for, for the way you see them. Help me to begin to see the needs that I'm surrounded by. Help me to see the condition of people in, that, that are in my life. And God, help me to be an instrument that you would use to help those people come to faith in Christ. And that ultimately, you and I, our goal is to point them to, one, to the one who will rescue them. Think about the people that God has placed in your, in your life today. Think about the opportunities that God has given you. What are you willing to do with them? Are you willing to allow God to use you? Are you willing to allow God to work through you? Then you cannot take sin lightly. You have to depend on Him, friend. But ultimately, it is about pointing them to Him. Not to ourselves, not to a church, not to a personality, but to Jesus. Because it is only Jesus that can change their lives. It is only Jesus that can save. It is only Jesus that can deliver. And maybe you're here this morning, you say, Pastor John, you know, the reality is, is, you know, you're talking about something that, that God wants to do in others through me, and yet I realize today that just as important as what God does in, through me is what He wants to do in me. Because God wants to work in your life and in my life. We can't offer people what we don't have. We, we, we cannot. And can I tell you this, the world, the world can spot, they can spot a fake from a, from a mile away. We can talk, we can talk the talk, but, but the, world can, the world can testify to when we're not walking the walk. Why? Because we look like them. We look like them. It's important for us to re recognize that God has called us. And we have a great opportunity today to, to, to take advantage of the, of, the, of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to accomplish the will of God in our world today.
Because again, friends, Jesus is coming back. I want to invite everyone to buy a with me this morning as we pray. Throughout this series, we've been reminded that false teaching is an ever-present danger that you and I must be concerned about, not just for its influence in our lives, but for its influence in the lives of others. My prayer for all of us here today is that we would yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that we would allow Him to work in us, and then allow Him to work through us. That every day when you and I have the opportunity to stand for our faith, to defend our faith through our words, but more importantly through our actions, that we're going to find God's grace to be more than sufficient for us to enable us to experience real freedom in Christ. But as I said just a moment ago, maybe you're here this morning you say, Pastor John, I'm willing to admit that I struggle with sin. You're talking about going to help those who are struggling. I'm struggling, God. There's sin in my life. And I've tried to overcome it. I've tried to fix it. I've tried to stop. I've tried to resolve it. And I keep going back to it. You realize that God loves you today. You realize that God has great plans for your life. But you find yourself reverting back to the same things that you know divide or separate us from His will. The bad news, friends, is this. You cannot resolve it on your own. Can't sugarcoat it for you, friends. The truth is the truth. You cannot resolve it on your own, no matter how hard you try. And as long as we keep trying to do it on our own, we will never be able to walk with God. Because our effort will always fall short of His standard. And unfortunately, the truth is that a life spent trying to please God, trying to earn God's approval, will only end one way. Separation from Him. Because our, our righteousness will never be acceptable to God. But here's the good news this morning, friends. God did not leave it up to you and I to figure it out on our own. God did not leave it up to us to address sin by ourselves. Because He knew that you and I cannot overcome sin on our own, He took it upon Himself to do just that. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Jesus gave his life for you and I so that what we could not do, he would do for us. God took it upon himself. Jesus, in dying, fulfilled God's righteous requirement concerning sin so that we could be forgiven. And there's no more trying to earn God's approval, earn God's acceptance. We recognize today that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Understanding that what he did was sufficient to pay for our sins. Now, it's not to suggest this morning that we embrace Christ and, you know, we experience the forgiveness that comes through knowing Christ, what he did on the cross, and then we live our lives the way we want to know. Sin keeps us from living for God. That's what sin is all about. But forgiveness through Christ gives us the freedom to live for God, to live a way that, in a way that pleases him. And you can begin to walk a life of victory over sin today if you place your trust in Christ for forgiveness and salvation. And it will be my pleasure, my pleasure today to pray with someone who will say, Pastor John, I want to experience the victory that comes through Christ, through knowing Jesus. With every head bowed and eyes closed, once again, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you desire to embrace a relationship with Jesus, very simple this morning, not complicated at all. If we want to walk with the Lord, we must accept the truth regarding sin. That our sin separates us from God and there's nothing we can do about that sin. We confess our sin before, sinfulness before God and we seek forgiveness by placing our trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And the Bible says that 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that you and I will find the freedom to live for God today. And so if that's you this morning, you want to embrace Christ today as your personal Savior and Lord. Maybe you're doing it for the first time. Maybe this is a recommitment of your heart to the Lord because you at one time were walking with the Lord and you found yourself just you know, caught up in the things of this world and, and God, God took second place, God took third place, fourth place. doesn't matter. No, God no longer became what's priority in your life. But you want that to change today. I want to pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have to consider, God, the opportunity that you've placed before us today, God, to make things right with you, knowing that approval is not something we earn, we work for, Father. It is something that is a gift, a gift given to us because of what your son Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. God, I thank you this morning because the word says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. John 1, 12 tells us that those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Bible makes it clear to us that there's nothing we can do to earn your approval. There's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. It's a gift we must accept by putting our trust in Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you this morning that that you gave your life willingly for us so that we might be sons and daughters of God. And not only did you give your life for us, but in, 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 in breaking the power of sin, you have given us freedom to live for you, God. But you've also called us, Lord, to be instruments through which, Father God, you, you would make this, this gospel that has changed our lives, Father, available to others who are in bondage. God, I thank you, Lord, for whomever may be here who is crying out to you in faith, Father asking you to forgive. Thank you to God on the, on, on the, on the basis of your word, God, you, you will forgive the repentant heart. And that God, you will change their life today, God, and help them to begin to walk with you. And God, I pray for all of us that are here this morning, God. As I mentioned in the message, Lord, the responsibility of sharing our faith, the responsibility of defending our faith falls on all of our shoulders, God. God, I pray that you help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not be timid, to not be shy, to not be afraid. But help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. The name of Jesus is a name that every knee bows to. And God, it is our desire, Lord, that everyone around us that we know will confess Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be burdened for those around us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be catalysts, Father God, that you would use, Lord, to bring people to salvation. Help us, Lord, to be bold and courageous, Lord, in, in confronting uh, uh, the, the, the lies of the enemy, the, the deception of the enemy, wherever it may be found. Bring in truth to bear, Father, so that, Lord, you can save lives. God, we're grateful for the opportunity you give us, Lord, to, to serve you, to know you, to walk with you, to be used by you, God. And I pray that for everyone here today, God, may, may this be our daily passion and commitment. God, use me. Use me. Again, Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, today to be challenged by your word and to be encouraged, Lord, to go out and to, and to be salt and light and to see lives change for the glory of God. But we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen.